0: So I appreciate you. First of all, Sean, let me come on the show. I appreciate that. And I appreciate what you're doing because I think the more we can talk about the bottoms in our lives and the more we can talk about our struggles, the less shame is wrapped around them and it, it ends up being more empowering to people so they can start moving beyond moving beyond whatever the life situation is right at that point in time. For me, uh, my story starts when I was seven years old and a classmate of mine after school one day um, for lack of a better word, enticed me into the woods on the school property. And before I knew it, Bobby was raping me, and not just once. I didn't realize the power of the last words he was going to speak to me. And he left through one end of the woods, and I left to the other when I heard my mom calling me. And Bobby's last words to me were, don't say anything. What I didn't realize is that was going to end up being a 15-year-old seeker from me.
1: Thanks for stopping by the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. I'm the host of the show, Sean Dustin. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us today. There are a couple of ways that you can help support the show. One of which is if you know somebody out there who would benefit family, friends from listening to the show or an episode in this show, send them over. I'd be happy to have them as listeners. Also, you can subscribe rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. And if I'm currently not available on the platform you listen to, send me an email and I will try to get added to it. I have merchandise available now, hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, and other items. This is another way you can help support the show and the show will get a portion of the proceeds. You can find direct links to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, merchandise, and anywhere else we are online at the bottom of the show notes. Go to the Linktree link, and that will take you to all the ways to connect to the show. One last thing is if you want to be a guest on the show, think you have a story that other people would benefit from listening to, you hit a bottom in your life that you want to share, hoping that other people don't have to go through the same thing that you did, head on over to the Linktree, go to my scheduling page, choose a time, fill out the guest form, and we'll go from there. Today, my guest is Sue Bowles. Sue. Is a self published author of a book called This Much I Know The Space Between. I had a good conversation with Sue. She, uh, has had some trauma in her life and her perspective is, is very interesting. And, uh, I have a lot of respect for her, uh, and what she's been through and how she's been able to persist in life and keep going despite the odds and the situations that she's found herself in. Sue will be a guest speaker uh, at the Mental Health Summit May 5th through 7th. And she's also uh, given us a discount lifetime all-access pass in the show notes. You'll be able to go down there, hit the link, and it will give you all the details. You can find her book on Amazon. That link will be there as well. And then there's also another summit because May is mental health awareness month. Uh, so on May 18th, uh, she is a part of a summit called dare to speak up. If you want more information on that, text next step to 31996 and respond with your email re- to receive the link when it's available. Uh, you can also text "next step" to 31996 for info on both summits and uh, to join the Hump Day Help text list. And that's a midweek uh, on Wednesdays, I believe, you get a, a text from Sue, which will, it's like kind of a push you forward deal. And with your email, you'll receive two free chapters of her book. So without further ado, let's get to the show.
2: So, hi, this is uh, Nowhere to Go But a Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Today, I'm talking with Sue Bowles, and Sue is a self-published author of a book titled This Much I Know, The Space Between, uh, and then also your, your uh, I don't know if you answered my, my uh, I had two posts. I had one for bottoms and life struggles and I had one for authors. So I imagine you, you, you answered the one for authors, but you also have, uh, plenty of stuff that fit in with the bottoms and life struggles and, uh, you know, circumstances that you've gone through. I see you have quite a few, uh, a few traumas that you've gone through, uh, in your life. So go ahead and, uh, the floor is yours.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I may have responded to both of them, hard telling, or it may have been the bot, whichever one it does, it does cross across both bridges. So if, I appreciate you. First of all, Sean, let me come on the show. I appreciate that. And I appreciate what you're doing. Because I think the more we can talk about the bottoms in our lives, and the more we can talk about our struggles, the less shame is wrapped around them. And it, it ends up being more empowering to people so they can start moving beyond, moving beyond whatever the life situation is right at that point in time. For me, uh, my story starts when I was seven years old. And a classmate of mine after school one day, um, for lack of a better word, enticed me into the woods on the school property. And before I knew it, Bobby was raping me. And not just once. I didn't realize the power of the last words he was going to speak to me. And He left through one end of the woods, and I left to the other when I heard my mom calling me. And Bobby's last words to me were, don't say anything. What I didn't realize is that was going to end up being a 15-year-old secret for me. And I didn't tell anyone until my senior year of college. So that in and of itself is, is a huge chunk right there. And I didn't realize the gravity of what happened for many, many, many years as I wrote my book and told my story, I started to understand myself better and I understand the trajectory that day set my life on. From that day, there were so many other things that happened. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. My dad was an alcoholic. Uh, before I say anything else, I have to say I'm so dad blasted proud of my dad because he was 29 years sober. Relationships have been restored and are very strong, and, and my dad is my biggest cheerleader. So, having said that, I, I can now say that you know there was some emotional and mental abuse there, and that is um, typical in an alcoholic home. Um, I realized that it was the alcohol talking, and not my dad, because I see my real dad now, and and he is he's a treasure. He's also flunked retirement seven times. If that tells you anything about him. So, um, In addition to that, um, there was some other sexual abuse in high school, and it was a neighborhood kid. There was also, I was suicidal twice, and my folks divorced when they were after 34 years of marriage, and that was one of the times I was suicidal. The other time was junior year of high school, and even as recent as 2008, uh, when I was in a Depression again, I started dabbling with cutting. And then when I was in college, um, I developed an eating disorder. So there's been a lot of life's bottoms, but what what I'm thankful for is the opportunity to share a little more about how that's not where I reside anymore. So.
2: That's a tough one, man. Especially the, the young, uh, the young being that, that age, um, I have a little bit of experience, uh, myself with, uh, Dabbling around in, in, uh, I don't even know what you would, what you would call it because for me, it was, it, it, I just thought that that's what like all kids do. You know what I mean? You, you experiment, you play doctor, you play house, you see something at home. And maybe you shouldn't have. Like for me, it's like, I saw, uh, magazine pictures and, uh, and hidden in, in like a fort we used to play in that from the previous owners of that home. And, you know, so I would see things and then I would go and try and mimic them, you know what I mean? Mimic what I saw when mm-hmm. I was a kid, you sure. know, and with friends or, 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 whatever. And, uh, you know, I never really thought anything of it. You know, I think the, the thing that made me think more than anything was, you know, cause sometimes I mean, I was experimenting with little boys, little girls, you know, we were just, mm-hmm. just, I thought that was normal, you know? And so that was really, I question the most. I'm like, Oh my God, am I gay? Because I, I did these things. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that happens a lot more than people know mm-hmm. that that's a, that type of behavior. And especially now, even more so when you have the, uh, you know, the, you have porn at your fingers, you know, if you got yeah. a kid that has, uh, access to a phone or, you know, gets into something or, I mean, there's just a lot more ways to stumble into seeing, images like that and when you're young mm-hmm. you shouldn't you don't know what to do with that right. you know and and as a and a, as a young boy you definitely don't know what to do with that and and kids if you've had one you see how they try to act out whatever it is that they see mm-hmm. you know they mimic they mimic and follow what 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 they see or they learn man uh, it sucks that that happened to you I'm sorry you know, it's uh, it's a it's a tough thing. Was how how much well, older I, was he than you?
0: Uh he was about the same age. He was he, he was either seven or eight. Yeah. Um and, and, and what what one thing that has happened over time is that now that I'm on the other side of it, and, and first of all I gotta say, you know, if I say some things that are triggering for anybody, by all means hit pause, hit stop, exercise some self care and, and take care of yourself. And if you're ready, then come back because I never want anything that I share to trigger somebody else. And odds are that someone listening has either gone through or is going through something of any of these topics that we're going to talk about. So I just want, I I just like to put that caveat out there. But one thing, you know, that over time is that now when I look back, I, I, I hurt for Bobby. I wonder what was going on in his life at seven and eight years old. And this is in the seventies that he would know anything about this because first of all, it was not on the radar. It was not discussed. And it certainly was not a topic of conversation for first graders or in the homes of first graders. So there had to be something going on in his life, just like you were talking about. And unfortunately I was the one he preyed on, but it, Going back to a point you made about just just general childhood curiosity, I really didn't start dealing with the rape in terms of really digging into it and and working through it all until just six years ago in 2014. So that tells you how long it took to be able to get to that point. But in the course of that, one of the things that um, I had to work through with my counselor was that the rape was not my fault. Even though it happened so many decades ago, all the emotions and all the thoughts that any survivor deals with, no matter when it happens, I was still dealing with. And and I love my counselor. I've been with her now for over 12 years, and she's phenomenal. And one of the things that she did as we were dealing with it, she would give me homework each week. And one week her homework was to look myself in the mirror 10 times a day for a week. And say out loud, the rape was not my fault. And it wasn't good enough to say it was not my fault. I had to name it because I liked using the word it because it was just very general. And that was the hardest thing to do at the start. And one of the things she had, to work, she had to work through with me was that childhood curiosity is normal. And just because I was a curious seven-year-old does not mean I asked for anything the only person that did anything wrong that day was Bobby. That is the only person. And it is solely his responsibility. I I hope his life changed, but now you know, I'm to the point now where I'm able to share my story to help somebody else. Because I have a responsibility with my story. Yes, I've had a lot of things go on in my life. And for the longest time, I was really hacked off at God about it all. But now... I've come to peace with things. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't make anything right. But now that I've done the hard work of healing, I now have a responsibility to help the person behind me. I'm sure we'll talk about the book and and our website and stuff, but my website's called mystepahead.com. And the whole premise of it is that you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. So my responsibility is to help somebody who's just Maybe a step or two behind me in their healing journey, while I'm still reaching out for somebody else to help me. But then, you know, it's, it's a continual, continual process, and it's a continual conversation, so to speak. Um, so, you know, yeah, it, it's it's sucked. There's a lot of stuff that has sucked in life, um, but like I said, now I have I have a responsibility to do something with it now.
2: Yeah, I feel I I feel the same way uh uh you do. I've been through quite a bit. You know, for the longest time, for at least about 15 20 years, I just kept running into into the same walls constantly over and over again and not realizing that I have to go right or left and you know, mm-hmm. I would just it, it just seemed like it was a never-ending uh labyrinth of challenges you know a lot of them though were self-inflicted on my on my part you know it it they were my decisions and my you know actions that got me into the trouble that i was in but yeah it uh i don't know man it's hard it's hard to uh like how come <sighs> traumas in general are just crazy how they imprint on on people uh when when it happens when you're young you know Uh, Mm -hmm. whatever,
0: whatever it is. Well, and I didn't realize, you know, that day, like I said, I didn't know what happened. I knew something wrong had happened, but I didn't have the words. And because it wasn't on the radar, it wasn't on anyone's list to ask. You know, when I was 45 minutes late, bless my heart, bless her heart, my mom came looking for me because she was scared her daughter was missing. She loved me enough to come looking for me. But she didn't know to ask. And I didn't know what to tell her. So, you know, I, I didn't have the words. The way I phrase it, Sean, is that my emotions were frozen in time that day. And the longer you're in the freezer, the thicker the ice gets. So, when you start off, you know, you, when, you, when you start on the path and you're already off base, the longer you go, the further off base you get. So, everything else that happened after that day was already on a faulty foundation. So, I was mean, needy, I was, needing, I was uh, insecure, I was angry i was an angry girl i still there was somebody in eighth grade who wrote my my year my little photo book so to the girl who's always mad Mm -hmm. and i did not realize how right she had it (laughs) she was very perceptive at eight years old or in eighth grade but i didn't realize a lot of things were tied to that because my insecurities my need to be seen so that I felt I had value because I didn't feel I had any value and I didn't feel I had any worth. So my worth, my value became in being the perfectionist and being the goody two shoes and being the teacher's pet and you know, do, you know, getting the good grades and being in the theater and chorus and playing basketball and you know, running track in college and, you know, doing all those things because if I was seen, then I had worth. And if I had a worth, I mattered. And I didn't have all that tied together until the last few years. And honestly, that's some of the things that I I learned about myself as I wrote my book. I I wrote it and I was like, I I just started learning things about myself that I hadn't put together until then. So it it was fun to write it and learn about, learn those things, um, and make things make sense. Again, it doesn't make them right. Nothing will ever make them right. But it's what we do with them once we deal
2: with them, we can redeem them. The one thing that that you said that kind of uh, kind of stands out a little bit is uh, you know when he said what he said, don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. In order for him to have known to say that, that must have been said to him by whoever well, was by by whoever was doing that to him.
0: That's a good point. I never thought of that.
2: You know, because that's you don't just point. you don't when you're that young, you don't know to to say don't. Don't tell nobody, because how do you know that that's wrong? Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, and, and, he, and he knew it was wrong.
2: And so the only way was- that you're going to know that that was wrong is if somebody who's done that to you and showed you how to do that said the very exact same mm-hmm. thing to you. And, and so that's
0: true. I never thought of it that way.
2: Yeah that that that's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, mm-hmm. Is that you know he must have had somebody doing that to him. He you know just did the same thing, and that's that's the pattern. That's the pattern mm-hmm. for all abuse. That's the pattern for mental abuse. That's the pattern for uh, physical abuse, for sexual abuse. Yeah. When, yep. when something is done to you yeah. at a young age, you instinctively just do it to somebody else. You recreate the trauma in somebody, yeah. you know, to another victim.
0: The abuse becomes the abuser. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then hurt people hurt people, right?
0: <laughs> that is actually the first line in my book. They were hurt people hurting their
2: kids. Yeah, but it's true, you know. And Mm -hmm. and I, I, I I fall victim to that. I mean, I grew up in a in a in a household where I I didn't have the best example of what a a loving, healthy relationship was, and I, you know, found myself in my last relate. Well, most of them, but you know, as as recent as my last one, about a year, a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half now, doing being the same person I didn't want to be, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, from what I saw growing up. And I'm not saying my dad was a bad person. You know, he was just, uh, struggling with his own, you know, whatever he was struggling with and trying to figure Mm -hmm. out, you know, he's nothing like that now, but you know, we go through periods in our life when, when maybe we don't know who we are or how to be, or, you know, who knows what was in his past. I never really asked him or, you know, sat down and, and had a conversation about it, you know, it, that's a hard, that's a hard subject to broach with somebody. You know what I mean? Because it, if somebody's not ready to talk about that kind of stuff, then th- they're never going to be open to the conversation. You know, right. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty open and transparent about everything. I mean, shit, I mean, just what I just said. I mean, I would never have thought of saying that publicly. You know, probably a year ago, I'd been like, "Oh my god, I gonna think I'm gay." I played with little boys, you know. All, <laughs> all but I mean, it's just, it's look, man, it, it, things are the way that they are, and you know, we have to figure ourselves out, and like you said, not and be willing to talk, because I'm guaranteeing you that there's people out there, uh, you know, just like me that have done the same things that maybe they may feel like you know, shame and like, I was a bad person Mm -hmm. for doing this. And, and, you know, know, we just have to figure out how to move beyond the shame of some of certain things and, and be able Mm -hmm. to talk about it and, uh, you know, process in order to understand other people, you really have to understand yourself because it's in Mm -hmm. understanding yourself that you become empathetic, uh, to what other people may be struggling with.
1: Right, right.
2: You know?
0: And and, and, and that, you know, in essence, we have to get past ourselves, or, or if you want to sound harsh, get over yourself. Yeah. You know? And, and I know that sounds harsh, and I don't mean it to be. And, and, and I, would never, I would never want to be told, get over it. And I pray to God I never tell somebody to get over it because you cannot get over it. You have to deal with it, you cannot just push it aside. I'm living testimony of that because I tried for so many years. Uh, when, when The Secret came out my senior year of college, it was in a conversation with my dean students. And after I left his office, I was walking back to the student union. I felt like I had a scarlet letter on my forehead like everybody suddenly knew. Nothing had changed, but you know, just because it was out. The only way to heal is to go through the mountain. You cannot go around it. You can't. You, you have to go through it. And only by going through it are you able to get over the mountain. So you're know, saying get over it. I mean, get over the mountain, get over, you know, get over the, the over the, the, uh, the healing mountain to the other side, but you can't just climb over it. You have to go through it. And that journey is painful and it is gut wrenching and it is probably one of the most courageous things you will ever do. If you take, if you start. But it is not for the faint of heart. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to quit. How many times I had conversations with my counselor about just bailing out. Um, I, I wasn't sure. If I, you know, I was like, And yet there was something that wouldn't let me quit. Because I knew at some point in time, it might be years later, I'd end up right back in the counselor's office. Because when I started this journey with Amanda, I told her, if we're going to do this, I'm not quitting until we're done. I am not starting this process again. Uh, and I, I've had to remind myself of that at certain times, but I'm so thankful I hung in there. And and, and even now, just the things we're dealing with, you know, is still, it, it still hurts a little bit. Some of the things that are coming up, but it's also stuff that we couldn't have gotten to now if we hadn't done all the other digging.
2: Yeah, you know, when, when when things come up now, at least you have you have somewhere to to put it. You know what I mean? You have a shelf. To, mm-hmm. to where you can process it and okay, okay, this goes over here. Yeah. I, I know where this goes yeah. or, or, you know, you start to become to recognize uh, triggering things. You start to recognize the things or places that, that are uh, not, not healthy for you, you know?
0: Right. And, and you know, I have a bigger toolbox. That's the best way to find, phrase it. You know, when, when I started with Amanda, it was, we spent a number of years just dealing with current stuff. And, and she told me that we had to get me stronger in the present before we could go to the past. And, um, you know, I had boundary issues like you would not believe I, mean, I let people walk all over me because I didn't think I had worth because I didn't, val- I didn't think I had value. So if you don't think you have value in somebody else's eyes, you certainly don't have it in your own eyes. And it shows your behavior so it was you know it, it was a hard process having some hard conversations and um having to to, to start break out of that um but for me the real oops, the real campaign came in 2014 um there was a retreat program i was involved, involved with and that that's where things turned for me i'm a christian and there was, there was a christian musician named rich mullins and uh those listeners who might be familiar with him. He, he wrote the song Awesome God, which is a really big hit. Well, in 2014, they came out with a movie about his life called the Ragamuffin. And after the movie was released and they did their tour across the country, the producers and the family and friends of Rich, Rich was killed in a car accident in 1997. The, the family and friends of Rich and the movie producer uh, was talking about doing a retreat to carry on the conversations of the movie themes about family relationships and communication and a re- reckless abandon and faith and you know, the masks. A big thing was it was masks and about masks that we wear and being authentic and, and vulnerable. And I went to that first retreat. That was the first time that I really openly shared my story because that was the year that Amanda and I were just starting to dig into it. Up to that point in time, I'd pretty much been in denial about my story. I didn't like my story. And there was a lot of shame wrapped in my story. So I kept it to myself. And, and, when, when, and because I had all the tapes going of it was my fault and I screwed up and I did this and I should have done this and why did I do that? And I had it all wrong. But because that's what was living in my brain, that's the, my reality I was living in. When I went from that retreat, I went in pretty broken. Um, And and one of the staff members, who's now a a friend, said that she kind of she described it as that retreat was kind of like a hail Mary pass for me. And since this is the you know the NFL drafts going on, that's a good analogy. Uh, You know, the uh, it was like a hail Mary pass to believe that maybe I had worth and that other people could love me and that God could love me. And I went from starting that weekend calling myself the holy exception that. Everything was good for enough for everybody else but, but me. I was too far gone. I screwed up too much. I went from that in three days to being able to say that Jesus Christ is absolutely crazy about me. And I never believed that before. And what happened in that course of that weekend was I met a bunch of other broken people who were tired of playing the same games I was playing. I'm tired of wearing the masks. And trying to make people think somebody that, that I was somebody that I wasn't. And it became a safe place where I could let that mask down. And I could let myself be broken for the first time. And, and for me, that had a whole lot of tears to it. But through, as, as I found that safety with these people, we've gone back on these retreats every year. And, and each year, it's grown. You know, first year, you know, I, I went, and that's, that's kind of what I talk about in the second half of the book. It's called, you know, The, the Space Between. So it talks about that healing journey. Um, the book's called, you know, as you said, it's called This Much I Know, The Space Between. And where the title came from is This Much I Know is My Story. All of us have our story. It's one thing no one can ever take from us is our story because it's our story. No one else has lived it. They might have watched it, but they didn't live it. And there's a big difference. So this much I know is our story. And the space between talks about that healing journey. And, and uh read something off the back cover of the book. It says when we're talking about our stories, the space between is that gap, that time of questioning and anger and confusion and doubt and whatever else you can think of. It's the gray area of uncertainty, of wondering what the point is. And I think that describes that healing journey of Something's driving me. I'm not satisfied with something, but what the heck is the point of all this? You know, and trying to find find that answer. So the second half of the book talks about that journey the things I learned. And the first thing was having to come out of denial and own my story. And the second thing was having to grieve my story. And, and I think there's things we don't always talk about. But when there's been hurt in our lives, that needs to be grieved. You can't just blow it off because To blow it off is to minimize it. And that's whatever happened is not worthy of being minimized. It was tragic. It was traumatic. It was wrong. And there are feelings tied to that that need to be be expressed and let go of. So I went from denial to owning my story to realizing that I had worth and realizing that I have value and that I am valuable. And then with that, Moving on to sharing my story, and, and that's that's what the book became. is it was a whole, excuse me, a whole process you know, to get through that healing mountain, to go from that brokenness to now I have a responsibility. And, and and it's been fun. I wouldn't wish I wouldn't wish the events on anybody, but the healing has been it's been painful. It's been long, and at the same time, it seems. So crazy short in the last six years. If you had looked me in twenty fourteen, and said I'd be doing podcasts and speaking at mental health summits, virtual summits, and speaking at state conferences and all this stuff, I would have laughed you out of town. Said, "Who me? You don't have anything worthy to say." And now, you know, there's just all kinds of stuff opening up, you know, and, and that's what I want to do is just encourage people who are are still. In that process, I'm still in the process. I'm just a further, a further step or two down the road. But I just want to encourage people that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to be vulnerable and authentic and to say, you know what? Life just sucks right now. And I'm barely hanging on by a thread, but I'm still hanging on, so help me out. That's where I was. I looked at a friend, the story I tell in the book, and, and it's if someone says, what advice do you have for somebody? who is starting out. This is, this is the advice I give them. I, I worked at a sports camp in Missouri for, for five summers, a place called Canica Christian Sports Camp. That's five summers of my life. Never thought working in a hot kitchen was going to be so much fun. <laughs> and I uh, met a, friend, a musician, musician friend named Billy Sprague out there. But Billy and I kept in contact a number of years, and then we lost contact. His fiance was killed in a car wreck on the way to surprise him at a concert because he was a Christian musician. He found out right before he went on stage. Uh-huh. So obviously, he was neck deep in grief. And, and it was she peeked out from behind the truck to try to make a pass and got hit. So he went through a lot. He was suicidal. He was not in good shape at all. And we reconnected on this trip. And, and, and I said, I need to learn from something you've been through. And we sat and talked for an hour and 15, hour and a half, last day of the trip. I said, how do you go and live it when all you want to do is die? That's the point I was at. It was when my parents were divorcing. We'd done an intervention on my dad, and I was, my heart was frozen. I was just frozen. And uh, we talked, and he shared, shared about something a friend of his had told him when he was in his grief. And it was he, he would go through the airports, and his friend said, Watch your feet, watch your steps. And each step, tell yourself you're one step closer. I can do this. I have one more step, one step closer. And he had me do that on the way down to the slopes that last day. And my first thought was, it is a long journey, and I am not going to make it. That was 1991, and here we are, 2020. That's my encouragement to people. It, it, because Billy's last phrase to me was simply, "That's all I know to tell you." to you step by step, and and that that's that's where. That's what, what, what my speaking is about. That's what I'm about now, is helping people take that next step. You know the, the, the website is my step ahead." And it came from a teaching at church where the pastor was saying, "What does it help? To, so does it take? What do, what do you do? Where's it, what's it take to help the person behind you or the person help somebody? And it was simply you oh, only need to be a step ahead. That's where this whole thing came from. You only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. So if someone is out there struggling, take, what is that next step? What's the, first, what's the next step for you? It doesn't have to be a giant leap. It could be moving one toe, one length. You know, What is that? Maybe it's reaching out. Maybe it's having that hard conversation. Maybe it's just giving yourself permission to cry once and just to start to embrace everything that's going on. But whatever it is, take that step because you are worth it. You have value, you have purpose, and there's a reason that you are on this planet and your story isn't done. My story is not done, but each chapter gets to be a little more exciting with a little more light to it. And that's what I want to do is just spread some encouragement and some hope and let somebody know that somebody's cheering for.
2: That's a good way to look at it. It's a good message. I think that at the end of the day, I mean, really, we all just want to be better than we were yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you got kids, you got a family, you just want to take care of your family. You want to take care of your kids. You want to give them a better life than you had. Uh, You know, show them opportunities that maybe you didn't have. Show them the right way to do things if if you've been doing them the wrong way. Uh, There's a meme that that was going around that's really, it's one that I really like. It, uh, it, It says, instead of trying to give your children the life that you wish you had had, which is, you know, money and you know all these gifts Mm -hmm. and toys and everything else show them instead of trying to show them that show them all of the things that you wish you had known instead Mm, that's good you know so I mean like kind of like where we're at now you know show your kids you know that hey don't always take everything for face value don't believe everything you see don't believe everything you hear Uh, you know, it's, there's, there's, you know, forces out there that, you know, will lead you down the wrong path, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, in, in whatever it is. So that's kind of where I'm at, you know, in my life now and same, same with you. I'm just trying to, uh, provide something that will, uh, give value to people, but also express, the stories of other people like yourself, uh, me and anybody else who's been on my show that, that has been through some, uh, you know, horrendous in some cases, uh, situations. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and really, I mean, who, who is anybody else but the person who's, who's sharing or have gone through it to determine whether or not it was horrendous or not. You know what I mean? Those, those, those hills that you were talking about, those mountains. You know Mm -hmm. what your, your mountain may seem small to me, but that's your mountain. You know what I mean? I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not you. I don't know what, you know, what, what it felt like to, to go through your shoes and walk through your shoes. Just like you probably, you know, don't know what it's like to be in mine. You know, what's, what's hard for you may not be hard for me. What's hard for me may not be hard for you, but Mm -hmm. it's your story.
0: Exactly.
2: You went through it and nobody can take that away from you nobody can minimize that uh they can try but you know mm-hmm. at the end of the day it it's really you know it it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks it matters what what you think and what it's going to take for you to become a better person and a whole person in the end right right and and, and
0: nobody goes through that alone nobody gets there alone yeah i, I think think the the, the a lot of times, you know, the very first step to healing is to reach out. It, it really is just to reach out. And, and I just want to say, I want to encourage people. If, there's, if anything we're talking about resonates with you, and, and you think maybe you want to reach out for some help, you want to find somebody to talk to. If you're feeling suicidal, maybe you want to pick up the hotline. You know, whatever it is, uh, you know, I had an eating disorder. I have an eating disorder. I'm recovery for it you're struggling with that, anything like that, the first step to help is reaching out. I just want to encourage you to pick up the phone, do a Google search if you need to, call call your local emergency number. they will connect you with anybody. If you're not sure who to turn to, email me through my websites. I'd be more than happy to listen and more than happy to try to connect you with local resources. My step ahead started out as... The website started out as, as an eating disorder recovery encouragement website, and it quickly morphed into just mental health issues in general because I have had a lot of them. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's what, what I want is just to, to, to encourage and empower other people to take that first step. It's, it leads to some pretty amazing things, but nobody can take that step except you. Um, you know, he so, said, so Yeah, you, you got to surround yourself with the support, you know, and, and those people you know are in the corner um, that, that will value you, and value your story, and value the time and respect as long as it takes for that story to come out. And I think that's the other thing is you cannot force it and it can't be rushed. It has to come out when it's ready, when you're ready.
2: And you also have to be willing to remove the people that are, that are in your corner that aren't really on your team.
0: And that's the hard part.
2: You know, and it gets
0: back to those boundaries. Yeah. It gets back to those boundaries. But yeah, if there are people who are beating you down and getting in the way of what you're trying to accomplish for your life, the most loving thing you can do for yourself is somehow draw that boundary. And, and nobody can tell you what that looks like. Nobody can tell you what that means, because some of those, sometimes those are hard boundaries to draw, especially with those family members. That's why they, that's why the intervention was so gut wrenching for anyone who's not familiar with it, when you get to the point with an alcoholic where you're doing an intervention, you're in essence setting them up. You've got somebody who has influence in their life. You're setting them up to bring them to a secret meeting that they don't know about. They walk in and there are influential people in their lives, usually family members, who are there. And they're they're basically going to tell you how your usage, be it alcohol, drugs, or whatever, has affected them. And they're, in essence, giving you an ultimatum and they're saying, if you don't get treatment, then this is what's going to happen for me. And when I went into that, I had to tell my dad, and you have to be ready to live by it. You can't just say, it, you got to be able to live by it. And I put my relationship on the, line, on the line with my dad. And I said, dad, if you don't get help, I won't come visit you anymore. And that was so hard. But you know what was so cool? Is that by the in the intervention, dad agreed to go to treatment. And out of everybody he could have ridden with, he chose to ride with me, and that was that just meant the world to me you know and and so you have to be able to live by whatever boundary you're drawing, but again, it takes support to be able to sort that stuff through too
2: yeah and that's that that's a that's a learned thing as well you know mm-hmm. and, and you know if you're in the, the the family you know that you're in if, if you have a you know a lot of uh, dysfunctionality in it. You're not going to learn a lot of those things and, and boundaries, uh, you know, codependency <laughs> boundaries and all of that stuff get, get thrown into the mix. And, and, you know, you, you get a skewed view of, of how to set those boundaries. One of the things that, that I would, I would tell, uh, some people that I talking about dating, like I, you know, I'm single. So I, I talk to people about dating situations, online dating and, and, uh, some of the, the, women that I've talked to, you know, they find out I have a podcast and, you know, what's it about? And, you know, this and that, uh, personal development, self-improvement and, you know, they start complaining about, God, you know, guys, they just want this and, you know, all this and this. And I'm like, well, have you, have you trained them as to what you want? I mean, have you told them what you want? You know, cause a lot of people have a, have it in their head. They have ideas of what they want, but they don't know how to articulate it. They don't Mm -hmm. know how to tell somebody that, look, I'm not going to put up with X, Y, and Z. And, and and there's nothing, there's no more to it. All right. So if, if, you know, you do this, 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 and that, there's a good chance that, you know, you don't have my best interests in mind and I don't Mm want to, I'm not going to, you know, pursue anything else with you. And if you can do that, a lot of the times, most of the guys that, that, are not there for the, the legitimate reasons, will remove themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem what I mean? will take care of itself. Yeah, the problem yeah. will take care of itself. They they're going to realize, okay, well, this person is going to be a little bit more difficult for me to get what I want out of them. So let mm-hmm. me go, let me go find some low hanging fruit that I can I can go deal with. I mean, <laughs> yeah, does that yeah. make sense?
0: Yeah, and it s- makes sense, and and I think when people get stuck in that pattern of letting people take advantage of you. And I'm not just talking physically, I'm talking emotionally or any financially or any other way. It comes back to what we believe about ourselves. If I believe that I don't have a lot of value, I'm going to let people walk all over me because my security comes by, comes from that person being in my life or my security comes from being around that person or in that group or that situation. And if we, Cut ourselves off from that, we're left having to deal with our insecurity, and that is not a comfortable thing to deal with. Yeah, but yeah. it's a root issue. It's a root issue to a whole lot of things. So I think when we are frozen and we can't make those choices, I think a lot of it comes down to that insecurity for of, of what, however, whatever form that takes. As you kind of dig into it, and, and we don't like having to come face to face in the mirror with ourselves. I think this pandemic is probably doing that a lot. Um, you know, people are having to, they're having to deal with themselves because they don't have the activity to hide behind. They're not Mm -hmm. running out all the time, keeping themselves busy and not having to deal with their stuff. And nobody likes to deal with their stuff. When I was, you know, the way I described with my eating disorder is that the activity for me is my number. And and honestly, I'm kind of into that right now. Um, because if I was busy, I didn't have to think. And if I don't have to think, I don't have to feel. And if I don't have to feel, I don't have to deal with my stuff. And that was the progression of how I ended up with my eating disorder. Because my emotions were frozen in time when I was seven. I didn't know how to deal with them. I couldn't really even tell you what a real emotion was and what I was feeling. And somehow that my brain turned that towards myself. And I have to say, eating disorders and not diets gone wrong, They are not about vanity, and they are not about body image. Eating disorders are biologically based mental health issues, and they are the most lethal of mental health issues, not only because of the death death, from the eating disorder itself, but also from the damage that it does to the body. Mm. Even even if a person is no longer active in their eating disorder, it doesn't mean they have not damaged their body already, and you can get complications from that. I think with this pandemic, and people are having to stay home, they don't have their activities to hide behind. They're having to deal with their stuff. That's why they're seeing the domestic abuse go up and, and, and the, the, the verbal and mental abuse and assault and everything. Um, and you start to see so many people type, writing about that and suicides going up. And I think one of the things, something I'm doing this weekend, actually, uh, last week in April, starting tomorrow, I'm taking a three-day course, and at the end of it, it's an intensive program, I will be a certified professional life coach, and I'm excited for that. And one of the reasons, I've been thinking about it, but one of the reasons I wanted to pull the trigger now was because of what I just said. As, As people are in this pandemic now and coming out of it, People are saying all along, we're going to have the mental health repercussions of this for many, many, many years to come. And and not just, you know, finances and just everything because people are, they're left with nothing in their hands but their stuff and it's uncomfortable stuff. And and, I I want to be one of the helpers. I want to be that person that can come alongside and help you take your next step. So, yeah, I I think... um, you know, when, when when you have those things in your life and you're not sure how to deal with boundaries or communicate them, it does reflect how you view yourself and your own, your own opinion of yourself, even though people don't like to put it that way. And when you come face to face with it, it's not always pleasant. And then you have a choice to make. Am I going to stick, stay stuck where I am? Or am I going to take the bold step and take a step forward? And what's it going to take to do that? It kind of becomes a gut check time.
2: Yeah, there's the, uh, there's the, there's those memes that are, that are out there that, that say that, all right, well, here's how I see myself. And then here's how everybody else sees me, you know, cause mm-hmm. we all, we all have a, a, an idea of, of, you know, what we put in our own minds as, as to who we are. Uh, you know, we want to think that, oh, well, I'm this and I'm that. And, uh, you know, I'm very, uh, this and I'm very that. And, you know, sometimes it's just not, uh, you You don't have the proper view of of how you are uh in life mm-hmm. and that i i came i came across that myself uh when i tried to uh run for a position in my local i'm 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 a part of a union uh uh i'm a a tradesman and i'm i'm very involved in my union or i was up until the pandemic thing but mm-hmm. I, I went for a, an office, right? And you know, I didn't really understand what politics was about. You know, I, I mean, I know what the politics, the, the national politics are, but I didn't realize how, how closely, how close that they really are from the national to unions. I mean, they're all pretty much the same. It's a popularity mm-hmm. contest. And I, and I, you know, I had merit. I, you know, did everything, dotted all the T's, crossed, uh, or dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, and, uh, you know, w- had the perfect resume to to slide into this spot, right? And, uh you know, I thought for sure, I thought for sure I was going to get this, man. I mean, I've never put anything, as, that much work into anything legitimate that I've ever done. You know, I've done plenty of, I put a lot of effort into illegal shit, um, but... <laughs> You know, this was like the first time I'd ever like, you know, all right, well, I'm going to, this is something I want to do. I'm going to, you know, I did everything I was supposed to and I lost. And that was tough because I had an idea of what I brought to the table and who I was in this union. And it, it wasn't even close. You know, there was three people that were in it. Yes, but I had the lowest, I had the lowest numbers of the three. And so I kind of had to, uh, I mean, that was a gut check, man. I was like, Oh man, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. you aren't, maybe you aren't who you think you are. Right. You know? And so I had to, I mean, I licked my wounds for a while for that one, man. It took, it was, it, it was a blow for sure, man. And I didn't really know how to mm-hmm. deal with it. And I was quiet for a while. And uh, I didn't know if I wanted to continue. I didn't know if I wanted to uh, throw my continue to be involved in this because it's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, if this isn't merit based, then, you know, screw this. But I mean, that was just my defense mechanisms popping out, you know, trying to fight the fact that, OK, well, I didn't want to look at the fact that, well, you know, maybe you're not that likable. Mm. You know, it's a hard one. Yeah. That's a hard one. Yeah. And I'm like, well, fuck, man. How, not likable. I mean, shit. I think I'm funny. <laughs> I think, I I think, I think this, I think that, and so (laughs) I, you know, I had to just re 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 look at everything I was doing and, you know, I, I luckily I've been through enough change in my life and been through so many different, uh, things from prison to, you know, whatever, whatever hardship you can imagine somebody putting on themselves. Mm -hmm. I've probably been there. And, uh, so I was, I was I had the tools to be able to, to navigate my way through it and come back out of it. And, you know, uh, take some time away and, and think and, and, you know, okay, let me put this into perspective, figure it out and, and regroup. And and what do I need to do now to either, if I'm going to continue on this path, then, then I need to figure out how to be more likable, first of all. And, uh, you know, (laughs) where, where am I falling short? Am I in, you know, and I just had to figure it out. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm great at doing this, but when it comes to like dealing with, with people in, like in front of my face, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I just don't want to be bothered with them, you know?
0: Right. And and it's a project process of just getting to know yourself and realizing where you're slotted best. You know, if, if a union position is very much a representative position and very much having to be interacting with people. And that's just not how you're wired. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But it's, it's a process to f- kind of figure out, okay, is, there, you know, is this just my personality? And if so, am I okay with that? Or is this something I really, really want and I need to learn, learn how to be able to play that role while still being true to who I am and so I don't, so don't feel like I'm faking it? So yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a process. It's a process and and anytime we come up with those kind of things, you know, what we do with the things we're learning through that is can be uncomfortable. Because we're talking about this, where are you come face to face with you? You know, you're like, oh, I thought I was likable and they're saying I'm not. So is that feedback I'll take the feedback and I'll evaluate it. And is that something I really agree with or not? Or when I look at the whole body of work, is it more or less of, that's just not fitted for me because how I'm wired, this doesn't slot into that position. Mm-hmm. And it's really not a slam on me. It's helping me realize that you know, I'm just not slotted for that position. You know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the mark of a good employer is that their employees are slotted in the right position.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, if, if, if you hate numbers, you don't want to be in the bookkeeping department. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. if you're a tradesman, you probably don't want to sit there and do customer service, you know, answer the phone and enter orders. It's about knowing how you're wired and having those people slotted in the right positions. Yeah, but yeah. the process to come to that conclusion and to know what what role you play, how you best fit into the picture, it takes some gut checking and some some hard conversations at times. And it can lead to some self-doubt and kind of wondering am I screwed up? You know, why don't people like me? You know, those kind of things. Is it my personality? And what do I need to do to be liked? Or, you know what? I'm to the point now that this is who I am. Take me or leave me, you know, and it's, you know, it's just the whole process.
2: Yeah, for sure. I still haven't figured out whether or not I want to continue with it. Uh, We'll see after this, uh, after this pandemic thing clears up and everybody starts going back to work again and right. I get back involved and see, see where we're at. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really, right. I really enjoy doing, doing this. I like doing this. I like, you know, helping people out. I like listening to people. I like talking to people. It, it helps me to, to get rid of some of my stuff too. I always mm-hmm. tell people that, you know, I think my podcast helps me more than it helps anybody else.
0: Right. <laughs> and maybe there's some kind of op- ombudsman program where, where you can help be a liaison somebody. And, yeah. and and listen and help and speak out for them. So there's all kinds of different ways things can come into play.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, we got, we're almost at about an hour here. That goes by quick, huh?
0: It does. It <laughs> does, but it's been a good conversation. Thanks.
2: Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and uh, plug everything that you want. All, all the stuff's going to be in the show <laughs> notes is, uh, you know, anywhere that you can be found or that you want to uh, promote will also be in the show notes as well. So, uh, okay. Well, so, I appreciate
0: that. Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, you know, uh, the book we've been talking about is This Much I Know, The Space Between. Um, it is on Amazon and Kindle, so they can just find that really easy to do there. I've got a few different websites. Uh, you can reach me at mystepahead.com. And then you know I also have a speaker page, so it's And I can get you all these links if you don't have them already. One thing I do is I have something I send out via text just called a hump day help. So, if people are interested, just get, just getting little Wednesday encouragement, just to kind of get you through the second half of the week, they can text "Next Step" to three one nine nine six. Next Step three one nine nine six, and I'll be happy to add them to the list. And if they respond with their email, I will then also send them two free chapters to my book. Um, I've got a couple of speaking gigs getting ready to come up. Uh, I'm doing a lot of podcasts podcasts which are fine pandemics are great for podcasts <laughs> that's, that's for sure but um may, may 18th there is no i'm sorry may 5th through 7th there is a mental health summit online and i'm speaking at that there's about 26 speakers and also you know, again if they, if they text the 31996 i can also send them i have a, a discounted registration link right now it's an all access pass i think it's for 97 dollars um the price is life, lifetime access as they add more content to it. And then the price goes up day of the summit. And, and after the summit, it's even more expensive than that. But I can get them that link if they would like that. And then there's another summit that just came across my desk. It's going to be May 18th called Dare to Share. And that one kind of goes right in line with what we're talking about. And it's, 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 it's talking about um, wanting to empower people with the power of their story. And, and helping get past the shame of trauma. So that one, uh, again, just reach out to me, 31996, and um, I can get you the information on that one. I'm going to record my segment on that this next week. Uh, sorry, I don't even have all the information on that, but um, I'm excited to be part of that. That one has got some some pretty heavy speakers with it. Both of them do. The, the, the one May 5th through 7th. Actually, I got an email It's also it's being... It's it's in conjunction with a mental health, a new 501 a nonprofit non mental health group, May's Mental Health Awareness Month. So a lot is neat to be able to do this kind of stuff to really um, really help, help draw attention to things that are going on and things that are gonna be amplified now as a result of this pandemic. So I, I'm excited. And, and, and if there's something that somebody, you know, is, they're looking for a speaker. You know, there's a lot of virtual speaking webinars going on, just virtual speaking, so please reach out to me um, whatever I can do to help somebody. you know that, that's, that's that's my next step ahead is helping the person behind me. So social media is my step ahead, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. so I just love people to follow me lot, follow along with me and uh, see what we can do to shake up the mental health world a little bit.
2: That's amazing. yeah I need to uh, I need to get involved in more speaking uh, engagements myself. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's a matter of finding them, you know, I just, mm-hmm. I I don't really look for a whole lot of stuff. I just kind of, you know, I do my podcast. I talk to people and, and, you know, hope, hopefully something will, it will pop up, you know, out of it at some point. just got to keep doing Experience the work. Experience is good. Yeah. Just keep doing it, the work.
0: That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Cause you know, things I just started doing podcasts in January and, and they have just exploded for me. the, to a degree I never expected. So you never know what happens just by doing one and suddenly things take off. So keep at it, Sean. Keep at it. You're doing great. Because you too have a story to share, you know, and and you've been through a lot, a lot of experiences that you can share to help other people. You know, maybe there's once prisons open up again, there are a lot of groups that need volunteers in prisons. And that's something you can get to and something you have to offer that a lot of people don't. You have you have a, a, a platform to stand on and be heard because you've been through it, and now you're on the other side. Yeah, you know, and, and you you can you know you've got a lot of opportunities with the things you've gone through already that a lot of people don't. It's a very special niche that you have that in on that others don't.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Well. I just want to say thank you. I appreciate your time, your transparency, your honesty, uh, your vulnerability, uh, everything that you've showed today uh, in this show. I want to thank you, and I appreciate it 100%. Hey, that's all we can do, man. We're, we're here to help each other and to be sure. better people than we were yesterday. And that's, that's exactly. the bottom line.
0: But yeah, And I appreciate
2: your time, Sean. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye, Sue.
1: Thanks for listening to the show and thank you to Sue. That was a great story. Sometimes in life, it takes a while for you to find your purpose and your voice. But when you do, man, it's amazing to watch. And Sue is definitely going to be one of those to watch out for. Just a quick reminder, follow me on my link tree. All my places, social media are there. Anywhere that you can rate, review, and uh, subscribe will be there. Of course, Sue's Places, everything that I spoke about in the intro will be in the show notes, along with her bio and a little bit more about her. And until next time, keep it 100, stay true to yourself, everything else is just noise.